welcome to Dirt Talk. I'm co-host Alex Horton of BuildWit on a mission to make the dirt world a better place. This week, host Aaron Witt has a conversation with Sean Coglin, though on Instagram he's better known as Shamrock Sean J. Sean is the owner-operator of Shamrock Earthworks in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Um, Shamrock is an established earthwork company who has distinctly special skills for building custom rock walls. Uh, those things are works of art for real. This week, Aaron and Sean catch up and discuss where they met, the unique equipment that Sean has in his fleet, and dish on a lot of, well, dirt talk. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Sean Coglin, aka Shamrock Sean J. Uh, why, uh, what do you got going today? Oh, just, uh, getting a few small jobs crammed in here in between a couple big ones. So it's the start of the, not quite September, but the September panic has already started here with our short seasons we have. We got till about mid-November-ish to get all our work done so everyone's on summer holidays and everything and then as soon as they get back from summer holidays you see like one frost on your windshield and everyone just goes like total panic mode so that's pretty much where we're at now is phone's ringing off the hook everyone's wondering where you are and when you're coming to their job so you're you can't work from mid-November to what April beginning of April yeah, usually it kind of depends on how bad the winter is and how much snow we're getting and how deep the frost is. But sort of mid-March, start of April is generally the start of the season. Nice. Yeah, so long winter. Um, do you, you, you do you work in the winter? Um, not. We do a little bit here and there. Yeah. Uh, not, the, not like a full-time schedule or anything, but. We used to do snow clearing for maybe five or six years. Buddy and I did snow clearing, but it's kind of a racket and you never, uh, you can't go on holidays and whatnot. So figured it was better just to work my butt off during the summer and then take the winters off. Everybody, everybody I know, most everybody I know used to plow snow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. You don't want to do it for too long. And then, you know, time kind of heals the wound and you're like, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll be snow clearing again. It's, you know, some good consistent winter work. And then, and then you start doing it again. You're like, oh yeah, yeah I remember why I stopped doing this. Yeah. No, I've, I've never done yeah. it, but based on everybody else, I don't, I don't think I'm going to start. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. And I, I don't think you guys would get very many contracts down there in, in Nashville for snow clearance. But. No, it, we, I mean, we had snow stick around for maybe five days last winter. And yeah, I saw that. It, was, it just wreaked total havoc on <laughs> the city. Uh, and now that I have a skid steer, I am going to be the savior of the city this upcoming season. Oh man, you need a snow bucket like right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not going to be all that good at it, so I'm probably just going to use a regular bucket and just tear up the uh, asphalt. Okay. Yeah. Whatever you do, just don't wear your seatbelt. Driving uh, in in two speed uh, with the you know with that blade on the ground and and go look for manholes. Good. Good. That's a good tip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Helping you out. Okay. I'll give it a shot and put metal music yeah. on Bluetooth. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the best way to do it. Yeah. Um, so I met you originally in, uh, I think, on a bus in Vegas. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That is. Yeah. 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 Either that or did uh, we meet at the hotel before we all went down there? Maybe. Maybe that. Yeah. 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 But <laughs> I so I met you at Trimble Dimensions in Vegas a few years ago, and you are, if people can't tell by your accent, you are Canadian. I am, yeah. yeah. Do we have an accent? A little bit, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where right. Where are you? Are you in Calgary? Yeah, Calgary. So for anybody in the States, uh, we're just north of Montana. We'd be about three-hour drive north of the border. That's not too bad. No, that's not bad. I mean, everybody in Canada, probably 90, 95% of people in Canada live within a you know, two, three-hour drive of the border. So Yeah. Well, I... So I, I, Canada is funny because I'll go up to somewhere like Montana 
and or Minnesota, and it gets really cold in Montana and Minnesota in the winter. And then I remember, yeah. okay, everybody that lives in Canada is further north than this. We're yeah. we're below Canada. They're 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 even further than this is. I don't know how the hell they do it. Yeah, yeah. I kind of get jealous with uh, when I see your guys' weather and uh, when it's minus twenty Celsius up here, and we got you know two feet of snow and the frost is down like five six feet, and and I see you guys down there digging waterline trenches that are only a foot deep, and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's, oh, yeah, it's a little different. Yeah. I, well, I, I didn't even know frost was a thing until a few years ago. I mean, I, I grew up in Arizona; it's it's never a thing, so I didn't I didn't know it exists existed yeah oh yeah it's like trying to dig through concrete yeah yeah it makes everything way more expensive like you can get ground thaw machines that you know kind of run hot glycol through some garden hoses basically and and you can thaw the ground out but everything's muddy and as soon as you stop the ground thaw machine everything starts freezing again and yeah it's you can work in the winter some of the big outfits you know with the that are just digging up new dirt every day and placing it, packing it right away, doing, doing big jobs. They can keep going, but for the most part, all the landscapers and all the smaller contractors basically just either do snow or shut her down. What is, what is frost? How does, how does that screw things up? Uh, well, the, the top, you know, imagine the top, uh, well, like imagine if you got a, a roast and you, you put it in a deep freeze mm-hmm. um, and then you take it out and you try to, cut it or eat it you know the thing is just when it's when it's thawed out you can stick a fork in it you can cut it and and it's easy to to manipulate but you freeze that thing and then it, you know you got to use a ripper to try to get through the frost and you can't compact frozen materials so you, you know if you're going to try to do any placing of materials compacting materials and getting it tested for you know density and everything it's it's a lost cause so. Yeah, and I guess um, you know all all soil has moisture in it. So uh, what's happening is the moisture is just freezing. Yeah, exactly. And if you got like some clay type materials that are really fine particles and hold on to a lot of water, yeah, and that stuff freezes so hard. If you're just dealing with gravel or you know maybe pit run, you'd be good. But yeah, most for the most part, it's it's you're just asking for trouble sure now your <clears throat> is your bread and butter primarily rock walls yeah yeah i would say that's what we we try to chase down that's our number one choice if we can you know if we got a few jobs picked from we'll go for the rock wall uh but we work for some builders so you know we started when i started that's kind of how I got in with the builders is I was doing the rock work for some custom home builders. And then they start asking, okay, well, can you dig a little utility trench here for us? Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. And yeah, then, sure. oh, well, can you dig, uh, you know, we need to dig a little pit over here. Okay, no problem. And then, oh, well, do you dig basements too? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. So then I figured, okay, I better get a bigger machine and start digging the basements for them. So then once we started doing the basements, then we got our septic certification and we do septic systems as well. So we can, you know, on an acreage project, we can basically do the whole thing, start to finish all the dirt work for them and not have any other contractors, any dirt work contractors on site. So when did you start? Uh, I started my company in 2007 and that was after, you know, working for other companies for maybe... Oh, I don't know, six years or so. Mm-hmm. So in 2007, I started Shamrock Excavating with just a little five-ton Bobcat mini hoe and, uh, and a pickup truck. And, uh, you know, I was not really, probably wasn't the smartest businessman at the time, but, you know, you're a young guy, you want to get going. And and uh, I actually had to wait maybe three months because I was 24 and but the insurance company wouldn't give me commercial insurance until I was 25. So I waited the three months and then I went to the bank, got a, got a bank account and they gave me a, it was a back before, you know, the financial crash and everything, the banks tightened up, but you know, they, give, they were just handing out $50,000 platinum cards. I didn't have a business plan or anything. And, uh, you know, they give you a line of credit and I'm like, Oh yeah, I am set. You know, I got 
I had no business plan or anything. My mom was asking, well, well, you know, what are you doing? You're leaving a fairly good paying job to go, uh, you're just starting your own thing. Like, where's your business plan? And I was like, well, the plan is to go dig some holes and somebody's going to give me some money and then I'm just going to go do it again and again. That easy. Yeah. Just that easy. And so then you realize that uh, it's not quite that easy. No. What, yeah. what were you doing before? Were you digging holes before? Uh, I was doing, uh, so when I, well, when I first, when I first started, I just went to, uh, you know, that's, I went the slightly less popular route. If you're asking guys on, uh, on all the forums and everything, I went to an operator school. Really? Just, just out of high school, I went to a heavy equipment operator school. Cause I didn't really feel like, you know, going and running a packer for a year and hopefully getting a shot at going on a loader and then running that for a year and hopefully get a shot on something else and work your way up. And, you know, hopefully one day somebody gives you a seat in, a, in an excavator. So I went out to BC, which is the province next door to us and took like a two month, uh, course, I guess. And it was, it was basically just like all day, like a full-time job. And we were working on a real job and it was a real project, uh, but it was training at the same time. So, I went the uh, the operator school way, which you know a lot of guys get uh, get up in arms there when whenever the question comes up on on all these conversations online. You know whether you should work your way up from the bottom or whether you should go to school. And you know I think there's it's a bit of both, right? I think you if people go to get a bit of basic training, then you're kind of starting off on you know you don't have any of the bad habits that if you have an operator who's just working for a company, kind of your mentor, they're passing on some of their bad habits to you. And, and uh, even if they're not trying to, but yeah, I think a little bit of basic, you know, experience and, and guidance, uh, I don't see it as a bad thing. And, you know, come out of there as like, you know, the number one high reach demolition operator or anything. They're just teaching you how to dig a, a safe slope ditch and they teach you how to load truck and the theory behind what you're doing and and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, was, that's where I started. And then when I came back to Calgary, uh, I got a job with a landscape company. And uh, we used to do a little bit of rock work, uh, mostly grading work, building landscape berms, digging tree holes, that kind of thing. And then after I kind of got maxed out there, like the earning potential at a landscape company is, is a little bit less than if you go work for like a big earth moving company. So went to go work for uh, the biggest outfit in town here, moving dirt and they throw you in like a, an 800 and tell you to load as many trucks in a day as you can. And yeah, for the first few weeks, it's super exciting. And you're like, Oh man, this is where it's at. Like I've made it to the top of the pile here. And, and then after a few weeks of loading trucks, man, is that ever boring? It, uh, you know, it takes a special person to be a production home man because it is. Yeah, and I, I know people that are like born to be a production home man. Um, yeah. But it's, yeah, it is, it is definitely a repetitive task. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they, their smallest excavator at this company was a, was a John Deere 200 with a, with a twist bucket on it. Nice. So after you know a few months of running the 800s, and they had a brand new Cat 385, which was exciting for the you know, for everybody for a few weeks, and then I said, "Well, do you have anything smaller that does any more interesting kind of projects?" And they were all laughing at me because I wanted to run the you know 10 year old John Deere 200 with a twist bucket. So and then we we're up in uh, Canmore, just sort of a mountain town. Uh, so half hour out of town here, we're building a golf course and ran into a guy there who was doing a bit of landscaping and he had a little, you know, mini hoe and a skid steer and a little truck. And I was chatting with him and I said, you know, if, if you had to change anything like with your business, what we, what would you do differently? Cause at that time I was, I was kind of looking into start my own thing and, and he was in his mid thirties and he said, yeah, the only thing I would change is I would start earlier. Mm. And like, it was just like a light bulb went off in my head and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's like the sign need to pull the trigger. So with, uh, 
Going back to Operator Score real quick, would you recommend that to people if they had the opportunity to go? I mean, yeah, I think it's I think it's a good way to kind of dip your toe in the water and and see if if it's something that you like, if it's something that you're good at. Like, you know, some people may jump in there and and decide it's not for them, and, and other people might uh, might excel there. But you know, I I, I think. Th- I think it's both. You have to go and get a bit of training. Like, you know, you just hung out with all those, uh, you know, Jock and all those Navy SEAL guys. Yeah. I mean, at one point, they were probably in basic training, you know. Yeah. Not like you come out of basic training as like some kick-ass Navy SEAL, you know, but everybody kind of starts in the same spot. And that way, everybody's kind of coming to a job with, with the knowledge of, okay, this is the right way to load a truck. and you know, this is a safe way to dig a ditch and, and that kind of thing. So the one I went to was only excavators. There was no other equipment there. It was eight hours a day. You're in an excavator. You're practicing. You know, the first two days, you didn't even touch the dirt. You just practiced deep in the bucket, you know, mm. two inches off the ground, back and forth, back and forth. So, you know, where else do you get, you know, that kind of machine time? You know, not a lot of guys with busy excavators are going to let you just sit out on their job site and and try to keep the bucket two inches off the ground for two days. So that's uh that's actually how I was told to learn was yeah, act like you're digging but not put the bucket in the dirt. And it was maddening because all I wanted to do was just scoop some stuff. But it oh, yeah. it really does teach you how to control the the bucket, the cutting edge, you know, where your teeth are at, everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever yeah. you uh you know you know, whenever you're trying to teach a guy, you know, I've hired and a bunch of guys and, and you throw them in the excavator and you say okay like uh you know let me see what you got here just keep the bucket off the ground i want to see what kind of control you got and then and uh yeah the, all they want to do is just dig a hole and throw the dirt so i think the the the, pre- the premise of schools is great um if they're selling people something legitimate and that's that hey we're going to give you the basics but you're not going to be some wizard operator coming out of here and you still need to learn the ropes in a real setting i think giving people the basics is is a huge benefit and is something that's missing in the industry but i have also seen young kids get this false sense of confidence and false sense of ability coming out of these schools because they're told that hey now you're a certified operator and you can go do anything and in in reality, that's just not true. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's hundred percent. Like, it's it's just to get your very baseline so that you know that your idlers are supposed to be in front when you're digging, and you know that you know when you're loading a truck, you don't want to be spinning from the opposite side all the way around to load the truck. You want to imagine there's a you know a twenty or a thirty foot rope attached to the tailgate of that truck, and that's all that you know, that's the total distance that your pile can be. So, mm-hmm. you know, and they, we learned how to service the machine and how to like, you know, change the oil in the final drives. And they taught you how to do daily paperwork and daily walk rounds and your pre-trips and, and make sure you clean your windows, which, you know, I don't do all the time, but they taught us that. And uh, yeah. And then, and then when you come out, yeah, you still have to, you're still, you're not going to jump into the mainline excavator on a pipeline crew and, and dominate. You got to realize that you're going to be on the, you know, you're going to scramble and try to find jobs, run little machines. You know, when I got a job at the landscape place, they were like, okay, we can tell that you've run an excavator before. And, and there was a guy there who was doing their rock work for quite a long time. And he's kind of, was sort of my first mentor in in the business and he kind of took me under his wing and he's like, yeah, I see that, you know, you have uh, all the right concepts and everything. And so let's, let's take it a little step further. And then, and then I think you kind of specialize from there because, you know, excavators, you can, there's such a wide range of what excavators do, you know, as you know, like the demolition guys have some crazy stuff. And then there's the, the bulk guys who just load trucks all day and they know how to move dirt. And then there's the, you know, like my my stuff, it's all just contours, grading, building rock walls. You know, it's there's just such a wide range of what they do. Yeah, I so you can you can never learn all that in in a two month 
schooling, no, you know? No, it's, it's, I mean, I've been, I've been traveling around quite a bit and I still don't even have a clue what these things can do. I mean, I just saw, <clears throat> we went out to Kansas city area and, and saw Herzog, which is a railroad contractor and here in the States. Oh, yeah. And they, they run these Komatsu, um, zero, you know, reduced tail swing excavators and they take the undercarriage off and put, put them on top of rail cars and they are freaking sweet and they can unload anything. Oh. You can throw a magnet on them and pick up steel spikes. You can throw a grapple on them and grab railroad ties. You can put a bucket on it and grab railroad ballast. You can do anything with these things. And they just slide along the railroad car or the rail cars up, up top. So the, and then not only do they slide along the rail, rail cars, but there is a, I, I don't know if the correct term is locomotive for this type of application, but there is a locomotive type piece of equipment that moves the rail cars and there's no one inside of it. The guy in the excavator controls it with a remote control. Oh, that's yeah, it. That's sweet. So, the, yeah. so just one dude in an excavator is controlling this whole train that can go anywhere on this, on, on whatever section of rail it's working. It is just, it's, it's wacky. Yeah. So are all the, the rail cars, are they, they're must be tightly connected then. Yes. Like it rolls along the top edge or something. Well, yeah. So it, it rolls along the top edge, but when they, when they get to where they're working, they have these little bits that connect each rail car with each other. So you oh, yeah. have to physically get out and basically connect each rail car. And then once they're all connected, then you can slide from one end to the other without any kind of problem. Oh man, that's crazy. It's super, it's, it's neat. And then when they go to sell the machines, he was joking. He's like, yeah, we'll have 10,000 hours on the excavator, but it'll be a brand new undercarriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Old, uh, only driven to uh, church on a Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's a deal right there. Um, oh yeah. Okay. So you start doing rock walls and basements and landscaping and whatever you're, you're told to do. Can you explain what a rock wall even is? Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a retaining wall, basically just made out of stone. Like a lot of people, they see the the Allen block walls and the, the precast concrete block walls. They're more familiar with those. So a rock wall, you're basically just exchanging the the precast concrete block for for a piece of natural stone. Um, the difference is that it, they don't interlock necessarily. So, you know, you can give the same pile of rocks to 10 different guys. You're going to end up with 10 totally different walls because it's a lot of it's just based on, you know, what, what the operator sees and how they're going to fit the rocks together. And, and, uh, yeah. So if you give the same pile of precast blocks to those guys, you're going to put the same wall and there's a little more artistic this to uh to a rock wall and i don't know i think they they look a lot better and you go back in history you see you know it's kind of like the egyptians were making uh precast concrete block they're building cool stone stuff and you know machu picchu and all that kind of stuff that's you know stonehenge it's all inspiring because you see these ancient cultures that could fit stone together and somehow shape it and lift it and and cut it and everything and without uh we don't know what kind of tools they're using really so we have the benefit of excavators and tilt rotators and gps and all this kind of stuff and yeah we still can't get it to fit as nice as they did yeah there's a little less slave labor involved these days but that's that's the the you know i've been to uh machu picchu before and oh yeah and that's the crazy thing is they still don't even know how they got these rocks there and then they don't know how they got these rocks to fit so perfectly and tightly together. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it boggles your mind to try to even, even with modern tools that, you know, almost impossible when you see how tight they got these things and they're, you know, 20 or 50 or 100 ton boulder up on top of a wall. Like, how the heck did they get it up there? Yeah. 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 No, it's, you know, that, so that kind of thing is, you know, inspiring to see all those ancient stoneworks there. And, and the nice thing about building rock walls and retaining walls, rock features and stuff is that it's going to be around for a long time and, and people are going to enjoy it. Like we do a septic system. We're basically just digging a big hole, putting a tank down there, digging some trenches, throwing some pipe in and covering it up and 
and you really hope that they don't call you back in in a month or a year or a couple of years because probably that something's gone wrong. Yeah. So you, you never see it. It's not something you really take. I mean, you take pride in the, in the work because you're doing it and, and then you have a company that can do that kind of work. But, you know, I'd rather see a rock wall that I built and come back 10, 20 years later and, and check it out. And hopefully it still looks as good as the day we left it. The interesting thing with rock walls is, and you mentioned it a little bit, I always thought it was just a pile of rocks. So I always thought they drop the rocks off, you pick them up and you just stack them on top of each other. And there's not a whole lot to it. You just, I don't know, you just stack a bunch of rocks, put some dirt behind it and call it good. But That's what some guys do. <laughs> that's what's that. <laughs> you know what? I believe that. But yeah. <clears throat> when I see you or like a Ryan Goodfellow put videos online doing it, it's really neat because you'll see, you, you'll pick up the rock and then you'll put it down and then you'll, you'll spin it around and then you'll spin it back around. And then you look at the, and you, you'll turn it over and you're, you're sitting there and looking at all sides of it. And then you'll pick it up. You'll try to put it in one spot. doesn't really fit right. So you, you put it down, you reposition it a little bit, you try it a different way. And it's, 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 you can tell there's, there's some kind of complexity and artwork to it throughout the entire process because every rock is different and you're trying to make it all lock into place. And like you said, last for in theory, you know, decades. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like centuries if, if you let it. And yeah, no, I, I think, uh, after you do for a while, you kind of, when a pile of rock shows up and you know what you're trying to build, you know, if you got a, a couple corners, the first thing you're going to be looking for is, is rocks that have, you know, that shape of a corner. You got the, a 90 or as close to 90s you can get and so you're picking those ones out and you're looking for interesting ones that fit with other interesting ones and uh, yeah i i enjoy it and i think that's part of of uh why you're in why you're in business and why you do what you do is you got to enjoy the work you're doing like we could probably chase some more basements and chase some more a little bit more commercial work and, and scale up a little bit that way but I don't really enjoy that kind of work. Like I like the equipment, uh, like running the gear, but after, after you do a couple of these, just base preps or whatever, like it's kind of boring to me. Yeah. When you, when you get a, so you'll, 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 you'll be building a wall, you'll get a load of rock and will you sit there and so you'll sort the rock before you start building a wall or do you just start picking from the pile and just use what works? Yeah, I always like to see, I like all the rock delivered if there's space, obviously. I like to see all the rock delivered before I start. Mm. Um, for one, you know, you want to use the big rocks on the bottom, obviously. It's, you know, just a common sense kind of thing. Uh, so you you pick out the biggest ones and you sort them to the side and you know you're going to use those as, as base rocks. And, you know, the smaller ones you put off, you know, in another spot, use them later. Um, but yeah, you're also looking for those key pieces that, you know, you might need specific shaped pieces for, for whatever you're building. Like maybe you need some stair pieces or maybe you need, uh, you know, you want a big giant one on the corner over here or, and just like, you know, the, even when you have a bunch of big ones, you want to, you know, you don't want to group them all on one side and then kind of have them like paper out. Like it looks like you just, you know, started throwing them all in biggest to smallest or anything. You want to, sort of space them all out and step back and look at your work and see if it's kind of balanced with the size of the stones and the wall. And, you know, there's just sort of, you gotta, you gotta have a lot of patience, I think, to, to do it. Like yeah. you want to, you want to get it in and get paid, but you also want something that you're not gonna, you know, you're gonna come back in, in 10 years and, and wish you spent a little more time fitting that one together, that one together. I think I'm a little more picky than, you know, most of the homeowners. They'll look at a section and, oh, yeah, it looks great. And then the next day I'm there in the morning, like taking it apart again and putting it back together because I took a few pictures before I left the site. And, and that night I took a look at the pictures and decided I didn't like the way a couple fit together or there was a, you know, a running joint that went from the bottom up to the top of the wall in a, in a big section or something that you got to fix that. So yeah, I think it takes, you just got to have a, have a bit of patience and, and away you go. You know, patience is something that a lot of people in this world don't necessarily have. So that that alone gives you kind of a, a competitive edge on the work. Oh yeah, totally. It's, 
Yeah, I mean, all you gotta do is drive around and and rush hour traffic, and you see that. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm one of those people in my in my big truck being an asshole. <laughs> um, are you working off plans or anything like that when you're building this stuff? I mean, I'm sure it's on plans, but is there a lot of wiggle room, or do you have to be pretty exact with elevations? What does that look like? Yeah, a lot of the residential stuff is you're just sort of making it up. Um, I guess with the homeowner or the landscape company, if you're building it for them, uh, you have a lot more wiggle room in the in the residential side. And if you're building something that's under four feet, you have way more wiggle room because uh, anything above four feet, then it's considered needs to be an engineered wall. So then you need permits, you need an engineer. Uh. Engineers come in and then they want to protect their you know, design. So they build it like extra robust, like twice as, you know, beefy as it needs to be just because their name is on it. And technically it's their, their wall, it's their design. I'm just there to install it. So as soon as you get above four feet, it gets, you know, things start getting way more interesting. And then, and then it turns into, you know, the rock basically is just the cladding and the backfill is actually the part that's doing all the work. Um, you know, there's two sort of basic styles of wall. There's a, a gravity wall where you're relying on just the sheer weight of the stones and gravity pulling them down to hold back all the earth. And then there's an engineered backfill wall where, you know, you can use a, an Allen block or something in the front and that thing only weighs like 70 pounds. There's no way that you know, a bunch of little 70 pound blocks can hold back all the way to the earth, but it's all the geo grid and the, you know, compacted gravels and the filter fabric and the, you know, the drain tile behind the wall that's actually doing all the work. Yeah. And I can imagine that kind of stuff is a little bit pricier than the uh, gravity walls. Oh yeah. Yeah. As soon as an engineer gets involved, I mean, not only the cost of the engineer, to do the design and to come out and do the compaction testing and the bearing test on the base and, and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, they usually, you know, I usually say it's about double because all the backfill back that they, they give you for them. That is the funny thing I learned in, um, in engineering school. So you'll, you'll, you'll do all this math and you'll try to get it pretty spot on and you'll feel really good about it. And then you're taught to basically use this margin of safety where you're, you're essentially taking your final number that's already really, really robust and solid. And you, you kind of just, you know, like multiply it by two or three. You're like, let's just, yeah. let's just multiply it by three just to be really, really <laughs> sure we're good to go here. And yeah. it results in everything getting completely overbuilt. Oh, totally. But I mean, if you're going to put your name on it, then, uh, you know, it's, I guess you want to protect your own ass, right? That's what it's all about. I didn't know you went to engineering school. What did, what did you take? Uh, did construction engineering. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So yeah. I learned all about compaction and geotechnical and structures, and it was it was terrible. Uh, see, you could probably teach me a thing or two in here. No, see, that's the thing is I I made friends with the people that understood engineering. Um, and I would work closely with them. If anybody from the university is, is listening, I would work very closely with them (laughs) (laughs) and, and they would show me how to do the work. Uh, so I, by the time I graduated, I really, I didn't learn a whole lot, honestly. No, no. That's what school's for, right? Yes. Yeah. But I have (laughs) a piece of paper saying I'm qualified. So it's all out. Um, how, how do you find all this work? Is it word of mouth at this point? Instagram? What is it? Well, yeah, I think a lot of it is is word of mouth. Um, I do have like, you know, two or three builders that I work for pretty consistently who all do, you know, anywhere from two to seven houses a year. Some of them I do all their work. Some of them I just do the retaining walls for them. Uh, a couple of the geotechnical engineers, whenever they have big walls they'll send out plans to you know three four five companies and and get you to bid on some work so a little bit comes through engineers uh, a little bit comes through linkedin and instagram a, a tiny bit like nothing nothing too spectacular usually just small stuff so far through there mm-hmm. although a lot of these home builders 
you know, a lot of their work comes through the social media stuff. So oh, yeah. secondhand, I get a lot from the home builders who got their work through through social media. Uh, and and then just people see you around. A lot of times you're working on a house, like uh, place right now. The neighbor came down the way and he's like, "Hey, like what you're doing there? Uh, can you give me a price to do my place?" So a lot of times you go into a neighborhood and you do you're there to do one job, and then suddenly you're doing three, four, five on the block. So so funny how that works. Yeah, yeah. So that's not really the most reliable source of work. Uh, we did just start a digital ads campaign because i figured i better oh know, boy actually you know 15 years in i better actually start treating this like a business yeah uh so we started the uh the ads campaign and i'll tell you that 95 percent of the calls are people looking for somebody else they're looking for like <laughs> they're trying to call some other landscape company and they're like hey is this uh you know blah 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 landscaping i'm like uh nope I'm like oh wrong number so there, there I'm getting is, a lot, of, a lot of activity, but uh, not the right activity. Well, Sean, now you just, you just should become a landscaper. Like, no, this isn't it. But we do landscaping too. What can I help you with? Yeah, I know that's like snow clearing, though. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, my my theory is anything that's like very easy to start, like any business that is extremely easy to start, is going to have like way too much competition, and the margins are going to be just totally crap. Like, yeah, you, you know. You want to just buy a paintbrush and be a painter. That's basically all you need. Sticker on your door. Lots of competition. If you want to be a landscape maintenance, all you need is a is a rake and a lawnmower. There you go. So yeah, yeah. You don't even need a trailer. Guys, yeah, exactly. You know, then the guys get a bobcat. And they're like, oh man, I'm gonna make so much money with this bobcat. I'm gonna dig post holes, and I'm just gonna go around and dig post holes. And although you can do pretty good doing post holes if you got the volume, they all they all want to do it. So they all just, oh, I'll do it for four bucks a hole. Okay, I'll do it for three fifty a hole. Like too competitive. And that that is the trap is everybody starts bidding against each other and then is just a race to the bottom and everybody loses. Exactly. So yeah. and then somebody's not getting work. And those are the exact same guys who undercut everyone on snow clearing. Like when we did snow clearing, every year this company that we were working for, they would want to retender the the contract so they would never give us like a three-year deal they were always every year okay well we got another company here that's going to do it for 20 30 percent less like can you guys drop your price and we just kept saying like no we're we're keeping our same price which in essence is is dropping our price because we haven't raised it yeah you know but then they get a they take the low bid and then three months later they call us back you know trying to oh can you come back we're getting we got three lawsuits going on we're getting sued all over the place here these guys never show up it's terrible I'm like okay well you get what you pay for well i i am gonna be a different kind of snow clearing contractor though because well, i can't wait to see this yeah because because we have we have unique branding sean we have we have the the Earth Mover, which will be the the snow mover for one week out of the year. There's no other snow clearing contractor in Tennessee, to my knowledge, that has a snow a cow themed snowplow. Oh man, everyone's gonna want you. You just name your price, and uh, it's exactly yours. yeah, it's good. I'm gonna pay pay the machine off this season. Oh yeah, and if you get enough that are close enough to your uh, your new shack there. Uh, you don't even have to trailer that thing around. You can just drive around and, and yeah, you, know, you don't need to move the machine at all. And I'm going to charge for mobilization anyway. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's how you make money. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the contractor way, right? Try to <laughs> cut corners and charge for it anyway. Don't tell anyone though. Oh yeah. I know your guys' secrets. Um, yeah. no, that's, that's interesting though. It's, it's, I think the most profitable, successful contractors, they, they figure out what the heck they're good at and they, they stay in that lane because the quicker you can get away from that commodity type work that anybody can do, the quicker you're going to, uh, probably enjoy the work you do, be more profitable. It's, it's, a a good place to be when you find your, your area of, of expertise. Yeah, I think so. And if you're, you know, if that's what you enjoy doing, then then all the better. The one thing is, is it makes it a little harder to find staff if you're doing like niche kind of work. But 
that's, that's another uh, can of worms all on its own. Yeah, but I mean, even if you were just a general grading contractor, I'd probably have the same problem right now. Well, uh, right now, yeah, it's bonkers out there. Pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, what? Getting into equipment, you have a unique machine. You have a Liebherr excavator, don't you? I do, yeah. The 920 Compact. So the 920 Compact. So it's a a reduced tail swing Liebherr. And you got that, what, last year? Beginning of this year? Yeah, I had to wait for it a bit because uh, of the, the two-piece boom and blade options I put on. They're not very common in North America quite yet. Uh, so I had to actually wait like eight or nine months to get it. So I ordered it right around Con Expo, and then I got it last winter. So this is my first full season in it. Interesting. And yeah. so it's a two-piece boom, huh? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I had one on my previous Volvo 145, and that was so handy that I just. Thing. Every machine I buy now will be a two-piece boom. What? Why? Why a two-piece boom? What does that offer you? It's just like another option for you when you're. And a lot of times we're in these tight areas. You're trying to do, you know, you're lifting big stones in small spaces. Like you, you know, you can't really take your little six-ton machine in there and lift some of these rocks. So we're trying to trying to lift. So a lot of times we're in in tight areas. You can pull the boom up and, and get into smaller spaces. Uh, if you're trying to excavate for, you know, say you're digging a basement, but it's a tight like inner city lot and you can't quite get a vertical cut on, on a wall, you can change the geometry of the boom and suddenly you can, you can get that vertical cut if you need. Hmm. Uh, also with the, with the tilt rotator on there, if you're working in close to your machine with a conventional boom and stick, uh, the angle starts getting really weird as you start getting close to the machine. Like everything's all maxed out angles on your on your bucket curl cylinder and everything. So if you are doing work in close to the machine, you can pull that boom up again, and and it, then you get the range back in your tilt rotator or your twist bucket or wherever you're using. Yeah, so that's and, uh, that's the other thing is you have a tilt rotator on there too. Yeah, yeah. So we're running the Encon. Uh, we got the top hit, so you can take the tail rotator off if you want. Uh, the tail rotator, and I think we got, what, maybe eight attachments right now for it. Good grief. Yeah. And w- when you're when you're setting stones, you're using a grapple, correct? Yeah, for the stones themselves. Uh, so with the tail rotator, the awesome thing with, with doing rock work is... So when you first get there, you gotta first you gotta cut the bench for whatever you're building. So you got the bucket on, then uh, you gotta place the gravels for your base. Then you gotta put your compactor on, which you can you can switch attachments whether hydraulic or non-hydraulic right from the cab. You don't need to get out and plug hoses in or anything. So we can switch to the compactor, pack the base. Then we can switch to the grapple, place the stones, switch back to the bucket place some backfill, switch back to the compactor, compact the backfill, back to the grapple, stack another row. So like we're switching attachments like, you know, 50 times a day on that thing. And when we're doing rock work, they, so I was talking, I was talking to Shay Stutzman the other day uh, and he's in Colorado and they just put these EC oil couplers on, on most of their excavators. And and they were they count how many times they switch attachments and they were like, yeah, we switched attachments the other day, X amount of times. And it was a ton of times and oh, yeah. it's all hydraulic. So they can just take a hammer on and off as much as they want without having to deal with a single hose. Yeah. yeah. He's on uh, team two piece boom too. Yeah. Yeah. He does. He yeah. has that new machine with a two piece boom, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So catching on. That thing's a weapon. That, that new machine oh, yeah. he got is, that is a total weapon. Yeah, that is a mean machine there. Yeah. Yeah, and then and I mean making it, you know, it's it's not that you're just changing attachments just to change them. Like you have, uh, you know, I used to run bucket and thumb to do the rock walls, and uh, say you want to, you know, do some compaction, 
Well, you're probably, if you think about, you have to get out, unplug these hoses and get hydraulic fluid all over your your hands and your clothes and, and everything. You're probably just going to, you know, bucket pack it and heat a little bit instead of jumping out and hammering out a wedge and sure. jumping back in and putting the compactor on and then hammer the wedge back in and and do up the bolt and do the hoses and all that production. You know, that's, it takes you 10 minutes to put the packer on. So with it being so easy to change attachments on the thing, you're always using the right attachment for what you're doing. I mean, they're not for everybody. If you're just loading trucks all day, uh, you know, there's no reason to really have one. It's just extra weight hanging out there. Yeah. They're, you know, the people say that everybody needs one. I'm like, ah, no, I don't, I don't agree with that, but in the right application, like what you do, like, I, I don't think I could pay you enough money to go to a machine without that anymore. Oh yeah. No, no. like once you run one in in any kind of if you're doing any kind of contouring grading work uh like surface drainage stuff or you're doing some golf course work or or any of that like it's one of those things it's like a microwave you don't want to live without it once you have one mm-hmm. no, I, I do love my but microwave yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. beauty they used it last night but, oh did you uh-huh. pop. um <laughs> what did you have, am I, am I correct? Did you have like a little wheel for cutting grass at some point? Was that you? A wheel, a wheel for cutting grass? I don't know. It was like a little cutting wheel for your, your incon. Maybe that wasn't you. Have you seen those? Oh yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. Those asphalt cutters. Yeah. 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 The big, uh, the pizza cutter. Yes. It's just a gigantic yeah. pizza cutter and it goes on yeah. the end of an incon and you can cut asphalt yeah. or grass or whatever the hell you want. Yeah, I actually asked how much they were because I was going to get one and buy like the biggest Costco pizza that I could find and just cut the pizza with it. That'd be sweet. Yeah, but it was a little too expensive just to, you know, make one video of cutting a pizza. Well, you can, you could do it and then just say, ah, you know, I I changed my mind. What's your guys' return policy? Exactly. Like, is there a restocking fee on this thing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um. What? Why? Why a Lieber? Because that's a that's a, a unique machine. Uh, you don't see many of them. I mean, at least in the states. I don't know. Are there? Are there? Are they more popular up in Canada? Uh, in Eastern Canada, they're fairly popular. They've been out there for a lot longer than they've been out in, in the West here. And actually, we've only gotten the the earth moving stuff like the loaders, dozers, excavators out here uh, just recently. But if you once you kind of I saw them years and years ago at Conexo, and I didn't even really know who they were. I I knew that they had cranes and stuff, but I figured that they were just kind of a crane company. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were over, you know, they're easy to spot at Conexo because they got all the big cranes. So we were over waiting for some friends. You know, you always get split up at uh, Conexo there. So a group of us were just standing at Lieber booth waiting for everybody else to come find us there. And I jumped in one of their excavators, and I was just you know, fiddling around the joystick. And I remember pushing the buttons on the joystick and I was like, oh man, like this is like a quality click on this button. Like that feels like, you know, top notch, which seems like a weird thing. But if you get into like nice cars and you, you know, you're playing with the buttons and the radio and stuff, you can kind of feel like the quality and, uh, you know, the volume control on the radio. Yeah. Whereas you jump in like a cheap car, it's like, you know, all plastic and, and crappy feeling but so i that was where i kind of got into my mind that okay like maybe these are i better start looking around and seeing what these guys are all about because then i started looking around on the machine and you know every like bracket and part just seems like it's well thought out and you know machine aluminum bracket you know it just looks like they put some effort and time and they didn't cut corners so when they finally came out and i mean when you look into what they are, like they're still a privately held family business, like probably one of the biggest in Europe. And they make landing gear for like probably, I don't know, 60, 70% of the planes out there. I don't mm-hmm. know if that might not be the right number, but they make a lot of landing gear. They make like air conditioning units for trains and they make refrigerators, freezers, like, you know, they do all kinds of stuff. And, and even around town here, like, their foundation piling rigs. I started noticing those things all over and the material scrap handlers or, you know, almost every scrap handler has at least one of theirs. So, 
you start seeing them around, you're like, okay, well, maybe they're, they're just kind of hiding in plain sight here. And uh, so then once they brought their earth moving stuff out to the Western Canada, gave one a whirl and, and yeah, it is like just silky smooth, perfect size for what I'm doing. So it's kind of a done deal at that point. The Germans know how to know how to build stuff. Yeah, they do. Right. Like cars, you know, tanks. Sure. Machines. Yeah. Know, like, yeah, they, yeah, they're just good at building stuff. I know even, I mean, even Caterpillar, they manufacture a lot in Germany. Oh, do they? Yeah. Most, all, oh, their, yeah. All, their, all their big shovels are made in Germany. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, they're uh, nice stuff. And yeah, it's, you can tell it, it's just top quality, running it, looking at it, just walking around the thing. You're like, yeah, this is like a, a quality piece of equipment. Which I, I, I appreciate. I, I feel like a lot of these manufacturers, they haven't spent, they spend a lot of time on like the engineering of it, but there's some just stupid, cheap design decisions they make from a quality standpoint that, that really, really frustrates me. Like you, you get oh, yeah. in and these, you spend all this money on a new machine and then you look at the radio, you're like, Where, where'd you guys get this thing? I mean, was it on discount <laughs> and you ordered you know, a hundred thousand of them in 2006 and you're still using them or, or what's, what's, what's going on here? Like, have you guys, oh, I, know. I don't know. Have you been in a modern car lately and seen what's going on there? Uh, I, it, it's, it's just, um, I don't know. There's, there's, it seems like there's a disconnect there as far as quality. And the, it's funny how you say like the quality of, of the button was what you originally noticed because that's the kind of stuff I notice and appreciate. And I know everybody, not everybody appreciates that kind of stuff, but if you're in the machine all day, I want it to be really, really damn nice and well thought out. Well, yeah. And like, yeah, you bring up the car thing. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand how they have like such nice creature comforts in a car. And then, you know, some of these things, like you said, like, I don't think they've changed their interiors since, you know, that John Deere 200 that I ran back in the day, their interior looks basically identical still. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and not to rag on them. Like I got a, I got a John Deere uh, skid steer, but uh, and it's a great little machine. But yeah, they're you know they need to take a ride in their their F one fifty or their F three fifty and uh, check out what's going on in the rest of the world. Well, I mean, they're all driving home in them. It's like, come on. Oh yeah, yeah. But as I always say, what the hell do I know? Well, yeah. It's- I have heard those those Lee Bears are are not the most simple. Uh, like in in what way? I've I've just heard they have their complexities to it. It's like you know I was I was in one not too long ago, and there was some warning that came up on the on the screen, and we tried to figure it out for a long time. And we're like, I had no idea how to figure it out because it is just not not as as straightforward. Not that everybody else is straightforward, but it it seems like. They're they just over engineer stuff. Yeah, and luckily so far I haven't had any of those things pop up. But everything now is so computerized that yes, you know, you, it's not like you can just have your your box of tools in the back of your truck and something breaks down and you just you know grab the old pipe wrench and and fix her up, right? No. Yeah, so, you know, the first step to everything now is you plug the laptop in and. And some guy sits there for half an hour who knows if he's playing like Minecraft or actually trying to fix the problem. <laughs> like, you know, so they sit there and uh, their 200 hour rate is just ticking away as they try to, you know, quote unquote, fix your machine with their computer. So, well, I, I find that very frustrating now. And yeah. I'm not like the most technical whiz, like with computers i'm sure you can probably get a program and plug it in and figure half stuff out yourself but and then that's another thing a lot of these manufacturers they it's all proprietary so they have their own system they they won't let you in you can't even buy their system and uh so even if you were technically savvy with the with the laptop there's no way you're getting in there to figure it out which is I think I think foolish, but to give to give the uh, technicians credit, I think most of them find that annoying too these days. And I they just they're technicians; they want to fix stuff, 
they they don't want to have to sit on a computer for an hour and tell you, oh, yep, can't do anything about it. That's that's just not how they work. It's a it's just a totally different type of work now. I mean, I was just with a bunch of technicians the other day, Carter Machinery. And that's the, that's like you're not kidding. That's the exact the the first thing they do. They come onto a job site. They pull up in their big bad service truck full of tools and full of cool things, and they bust out the laptop and. <laughs> pull, pull out the wire, plug it into the machine, and peck away on the laptop. It's like I thought. I thought you were gonna do some mechanic stuff, but I guess this is where we're at in 2021. Yeah, like it. I don't know if their trucks are like you know IKEA furniture, where it's just like a prop. You know, like the welder <laughs> isn't actually a welder; it just looks like a welder. <laughs> it's just a cardboard box with Miller yeah. on the side of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I find that to be the most frustrating thing with, and with vehicles too. Like if your truck, you're having a problem with your truck, it starts spinning up all these, you know, error things on your, on your dash and same thing with them. They just plug into it and, oh, we deleted the codes and, oh, you know, oh, thanks. How much is that going to cost? Yeah. I, I want to know who is really responsible for all the emission stuff. Like who is that the guy? that did all this and what were his motives? Were his motives, oh, let's save the environment or were his motives, let's just make all this more complicated so we make more money? We'll never know. Oh. But I would love no. to know the genesis of all of the, the emission stuff in general. Yeah, I'm willing to bet it was the guy that's like, let's make it more complicated so we can make more money. I, you know, I I, I don't think you're completely far off on that on that assumption. Yeah, I, I, I think... Yeah. It just, it's, it's so far out of place and it's so out of control and so complicated that it, it, it doesn't like, and, and no one even understands it. They're just like, yeah, there's, it, we have all this stuff on, it went from zero to a hundred, what's in what seems like overnight and no one really gets it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think back in like 2008, maybe some like investment guys and some bankers, you know, after the crash, they weren't doing so well. So they got together with like the diesel industry and they're like, look, guys, we can make banking complicated. Like you want to do some investing. We make it sound so complicated that, you know, the average person just is can't do it. So let's just get together. Let's figure this out and let's make this whole diesel thing like as cumbersome as possible. It's worked. It's worked yeah. well. Yeah. 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 And, and now... I mean, but the good news is, Sean, you are saving the environment every time you run that Lee Bear excavator. Oh yeah, you like, are you are cleaning I feel the so air. Good about myself. Like whenever I'm filling up those def tanks, yes. you know those individual like four liter jugs that they give you. Yes. Yep. Oh man, it feels so good just <laughs> pouring those in there and just tossing those uh, packages in the garbage. Man, <laughs> just warms my heart. You are an environmentalist, sir. Yeah, and yeah. the bees—they come around and and they thank me. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, uh, someone's got to do it. Um, it, it it is interesting though. I, I, like, have you ever seen an engine that is tier four final versus a an in, engine with no emissions on it? Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's crazy if you get to see both of them side by side because it is not a little bit more complicated. It is way more complicated. Oh yeah. Like if you go back and look at some of the older excavators, like some of the conventional swing ones with a regular motor in there, it's like you look inside there and you think half the thing is missing because there's just yeah. so much room in there. Like there's like an ensuite in there and like a a seating area, like <laughs> there's all this extra room in there. And now well, especially with the compact stuff, like you're trying to fit all that crap in the compact swing. Like, uh huh. You know, the first thing on there, you know, if you have a problem with your engine, step number one is like remove the counterweight. Yeah. No, that's great. I'm sure that'll be cheap. I, I, I forget where we were the other day, but we, we were driving by an old, old, big bulldozer. And I think it was an old cat, <clears throat> like a D10 or something that size. And I, I don't know who it was, but they're like, oh, wow. Like the whole, the whole engine's out of it. And you look a little closer, you're like, no, the engine's in it. It's just, that's all the space that was that used to be available in those things before there was the whole emissions thing on top of the engine. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah like how do they even fit it all in there now? Um, it's, I, I don't know, but yeah, that's a, that's a can of worms that I guess we'll unpack at another time. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the computer stuff, like, you know, we wouldn't have any of the, you know, GPS machine control, all that kind of stuff. There are some bonuses to having computers in there, but yeah, sometimes you wonder if it's worth the trade off. I, you know, I'm, I'm all for all that stuff. I, I mean, it's GPS, especially, I think if you're not running GPS, you're kind of a dummy at this point. Um, but I, I mean, it, it, depending on your application, obviously you're not going to run GPS setting rocks, but, um, I'm all for all the tech. It's just some of the stuff you kind of sit there and scratch your head and, and, and wonder, uh, is this really the best way to do this? Because sure, it's a cool party trick, but I don't know if this is at all useful in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like big civil stuff. And, you know, even if you're doing, I mean, basements and whatnot, we use the 2D and it's amazing. Uh, we are trying to get into 3D. Uh, we're having problems getting part because of the yeah. computer chip shortage going on right now, which I think there's a shortage on absolutely everything by the sounds of it. Yep. Uh, but yeah, we are we are trying to get into that game too because I think it, it is the the way of the future and doing it will just be like if you don't have it, people wonder what's what's going on. Um. Uh, well, I um, I'll make it up to your area one of these days. Yeah. Okay. If, if your your police state ever calms down and lets Americans into the country again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh, both directions right now. I think you guys won't let us in. And yeah. We will only let you in if uh, if you got double shot and and uh, yeah, I don't know. You probably have to fill out some forms or something, but. Uh, Seven negative tests. Yeah. And yeah. I thought they were going to have the uh, dimensions show down near you guys. So I thought we were going to all come party and, uh, and just, and everyone's going to crash on your couch. Well, I thought they were just going to push it off like they did mine expo, but yeah. they, they, they just complete. And I found this out and I don't know, like two weeks ago, they, they just completely canceled the show. And they pushed it to 2023 in Vegas again. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Jeez. I know. Yeah, I was looking forward to come checking out these new digs you got. Hey, we'll have you buy one of these days. Yeah. We'll have you. I mean, you got you got all winter, so you got to... I mean, yeah, we're... I'm going to come uh, gonna come run snow clearing equipment for you. Hell yeah. I'll put you to work. Yeah, lots of work down here. You know, I'd... Oh, man. You know, come... Uh, and I think it was February last year. Come February, it is... The snow is flying. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring my skis. <laughs> Uh, yeah, pack your mittens, bud, because it gets chilly yeah, down here. Yeah, I bet. Um, well, Sean, how do people how do people see your artwork, rock work, machines work? How do people find you online? Yeah, we're on uh, Instagram, Shamrock Sean J, uh, and LinkedIn a little bit. Uh, that's, that's kind of the main two. I think Instagram is sort of the main. One right now, it's got the most exposure, and I find the community on there is kind of a little bit better than than LinkedIn for the most part. It's not too much safety police on LinkedIn, but dude, it's it it is maddening on LinkedIn. How yeah, yeah the safety police, holy smokes! Yeah, it's like anything you post, you just post a picture of a tree. And, you know, a safety officer from somewhere is going to come in and, and tell you that you're standing too close to the tree or yeah, something like Yeah. Yeah. Why don't, why don't you have that fenced off? You, did you know that's a, that's a Douglas fir that's protected in this area? It's like, dude, oh, yeah. get the hell out of here. Or, or I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make jokes all the time. And Instagram, they hit pretty good. People understand my humor. People understand humor in general on Instagram. You put a joke, yeah. you put a joke on LinkedIn. Um, maybe one out of 10 people will get it. Maybe there is no humor allowed. No, no fun whatsoever. No, we are just here to do the business. There is no fun, no jokes, sir. And and people get upset about it. Oh yeah. I see on there all the time. And when you're doing like the, uh, machine pro tips, like, you know, make sure you bang (laughs) the pocket extra hard and stuff like that. 
And you got all the like, you know, the superhero operators that uh, come on and, and tell you that you're doing it wrong, and you know, they're, they're on every post. Like, no matter where you go, they're they're there. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, they're just oh, actually no, that's uh, that's actually totally wrong, and uh, you're gonna do some damage. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, you would do it. You should never use your counterweight as a grading tool. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 They throw a bunch of technical spec to you, and like. Yeah. An operator's manual and stuff for you to go learn how to run a machine. Lighten up, everybody. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I find uh, the the audience, it's a different audience, obviously. It's way more broad on mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Uh, and it's, it can be good. Like, there's a lot of different things going on, and you kind of get to see, you know, it's like Facebook for business. Sure. So you get to see a lot of different stuff that you might not see if you're more of a focused the I find on Instagram, it's mostly all just excavators, loaders, skid steers, that kind of thing. Yeah. And and the guys know, you know, most people you post a picture on, on Instagram, you know, most people know what they're looking at and, you know, they know it's a tilt rotator, not a titillator or something. So. Not a spinny thing. Yeah. Spinny thing. So. Yeah. Uh, probably the main uh, spot by me right now. Cool. Well, we uh, appreciate you stopping by today. I know you have yeah, lots man. going on, so good luck with your uh, your busy season there. And uh, maybe I'll see you in Nashville one of these days. Yeah, hopefully. And uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, I see all your updates there, and you guys are kicking some ass for a uh, for a young guy doing your thing. I'm proud of what you're doing there. I appreciate it. We're it, you know it's all it's all just a farce. It's all made up. It's amazing what you can do with social media. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, it's working. Let's let's pretty kick ass. That's all that matters. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. We will. Uh, we'll see you later. Sounds good. See you online.